Greetings, comic book nerds, and welcome to episode 25 of the Pull List Podcast, a bi-weekly show about comics, pop culture, and faith. My name is Chris Poirier, and with me, as always, is the one and only Hector. How's it going, Hector? Guten Tag, homies. Ooh, Guten Tag, uh, German homies. Well, you know... Uh, my my kid's in a play of Frozen, so I'm hearing, like, ah, that dude, the... Suddenly, whatever. suddenly... That makes a lot more sense, sort of. Yep. But you know what you're all here for, so go ahead and strap yourselves in and prepare yourself for We've Got Comic Sign. On today's episode of The Pull List, we've got a great show for you. We're going to hit the latest news. Well, actually, we're going to hit what did or did not come out of... New York Comic Con, and, well, actually, speaking of which, we had a good friend there, and Tamara Robertson of past episodes uh, here on the Polis podcast, and also Mythbuster fame, gave Hector, myself, and Faith and Fandom, and Love Thy Nerd all kinds of love in a lot of folks that she talked to up there, and she shouted out to us on socials, and we just, we thank you, because that means a lot to us, it means that folks are listening and also kind of know what we're about and what we're doing, so... Just thanks. We, we're super, super proud of her and all the awesome stuff that she does, and it's cool to get a shout-out in that kind of environment. So we got lots of news to talk about, mostly from NYCC, so let's get to it, shall we? All right, so Hector, I guess I'll go ahead and we'll talk about NYCC, because I know you've got something kind of cool to talk about too, but let's knock out all the industry news from New York, or the not-so-much news? I don't not know, so maybe it was news. just, yeah, in, I felt in like the, it happened. In my region, slash the Myrtle Beach, North or South Carolina area, there's a show called Not the News, and uh, that would be basically equivalent to New York City Comic Con's coverage. Um no. Because nothing literally happened except for a few small things. So yeah, what you got? I, I I feel like in other years, San Diego and New York were well balanced, and this year everyone like rolled into New York and was like, "Yeah, we already told you." So yeah, but what we do have um, seems kind of exciting. Is Marvel is teasing another Chris Claremont project? They're not really giving us a lot of details, but you know he's been doing some work with the X Men relaunch, and he's got something coming up in twenty twenty. Don't know what it is, but we know it's coming from Claremont, so I'm kind of excited. I've enjoyed Chris's work, and he did quite possibly one of the best X-Men arcs ever. So I, I'm i not sorry for that. I, I think he really did. No, Claremont um, is the definitive, like, solid voice on X-Men things. Um, God Loves, Man Kills, I mean, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually have a couple Nightcrawler books on my pile like trades from him that I need to read as well. So no Claremont is as associated with great X-Men as literally anyone else. I know like Joss Whedon for me was one of the best X-Men voices. Um, Claremont is one of the best X-Men voices ever. And unless he like totally Hindenburg's this piece, Hickman might go down mm -hmm. that with that eventually. Um, right. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that a little later as uh house and powers, uh, kind of wrapped up this week yeah too so yeah we we will see um more marvel news um marvel i think saved some of their things to talk about i think that's the main thing that we saw and then my last piece is dc kind of being like whoa but how many people in marvel land absolutely loves them some donny cates i i think say, i think people everybody in marvel land loves them some donny cates and i think dc fans low-key like love donny cates quietly <laughs> right. So Donnie has been like Marvel's guy for this year, and he had a ton of great uh, individual projects before at Image, um, God Country, uh, Redneck is still ongoing, but he took over tons of stuff at Marvel, and well, 2020, he's taking on Thor. Jason Aaron is going to be moving along, and Donnie Cates is going to get his swing at Thor. So, I, I mean, Wow. Donnie's been doing quite a bit at Marvel, and he's been shaking almost every title he's been given. I mean, we got basically Cosmic Ghost Rider out of Donnie and some of the last events. So I'm kind of excited to see what he'll do with Thor. And Jason, Jason has really done a great job with Thor. 
but it's like two years now. So it is probably time for somebody else. And I think Donnie's as good a choice as any. So Thor in 2020, there's going to be a new look. There's some images out there and you can click the links in the show description to kind of get an early look at the new Thor of 2020. So is this continuing on with the whole King Thor thing or is this a fresh start? I think it's a fresh start is my understanding, but that's the kinda, Thor that's titles... That's kind of sad to get to this status of King Thor and taking over Asgard and then like, psych, I'm a punk kid again. Right, well, I don't know if he's a punk kid again, so it could be a continuation. I'm not as familiar with the take on it at the moment. And the images definitely show a newer Thor, so... I hate to say it, but it's got a cosmic feel. So I'm hoping Donnie isn't a one-trick pony on let's just make everything in Marvel Universe cosmic. But Well, Thor should be cosmic. Out. Thor, we was, shall see. Thor was cosmic like in the older generations. You know, he, That's fair. He, That's a good he point. belongs in space, honestly, to me. Right. Like, he's I think he's not of in, this world. He's not of this world, and I think his presence in space is so eclectic that it makes it more entertaining. Well. We shall see. 2020 is setting up to be at least a pretty interesting year for Marvel, and it also appears that it might be an interesting year for DC. So you've heard both Hector and I say usually incredibly nice things about DC, and I think I'm about to say something not not so great. Yeah, I um, didn't know what you were about to say out... until now, so I'm scared. Yeah, so... The thing that leaked out, because I guess it was more so behind closed doors than it really was talked about a lot, I think this document was shown, but the DC continuity timeline, you know, Marvel a few years ago was like, okay, here's the thing so you can understand it. Um, DC kind of did the same thing, laying out their entire history, and they kind of showed five generations of DC continuity. And it walks through the different periods, and so obviously you have your New 52, and then you get your Rebirth, and Rebirth and Right Now is referred to as fourth generation, at least according to this timeline. And okay. they have been cryptically talking about this thing called 5G, which everyone's like, hey, if I can do deduction good, that means the fifth generation is coming. And this is the thing. What's been leaking out, and now nobody really knows whether it's pure rumor or not, but this is the rumor that is echoing, so I have to mention it, is 5G is going to all but nuke all of the existing characters we know and love and bring us a new generation of all of them. So, um, not new characters, just new versions of our characters. New characters, mm, it's partially rumored that it could be other characters carrying the mantle, but they're all going to be younger. So it's Spider-Man 2099. Which, ironically, Marvel also announced. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> <A new> amazing <laughs> amazing Spider-Man 2099 was actually in this week's uh, comics. Uh, there were ads. Uh, so that, but kind of, sort of, I think it lends some credence to the rumor that Batman is going to be a new person. And they've been talking about that recently. Um, supposedly there's been some rumors about other characters as well. Now, again, warning, this is pure conjecture. There's been very little that has confirmed any of it, but there seems to be a lot of folks in the industry that are confirming that DC is about to take a super hard right-hand turn sometime in 2020. And then Didio um, even confirmed, sort of, in an interview, I think yesterday, that another crisis is coming, and that's going to set oh, up what comes guy. next. Right. So, and um, we'll talk about that in the polls because that was one of my favorite panels from the past two weeks was DC, like, on the nosing themselves for too many crises, but now they're about to have another. I don't know if that was a tongue-in-cheek, we're about to have a crisis, or if it's actually going to be a call to crisis of some type. So, other than that, DC what was our last crisis? say at New York. Um, final? Hmm. I'm not remembering one past final. Right. I mean, that's probably true. Because um, it was Infinite, like, Infinite was the first one of my comic book reading age, um, and then Countdown, because Countdown was, ended up becoming Countdown to Final Crisis, we had Final Crisis, and then yeah. everything else just kind of had soft re revisions, because, you know, Flashpoint was a thing, and then, right. you know, New 52 and Rebirth, but none of those were quite called Crisis Eye, or Crisis Right. That's why I think that's kind of probably the tongue-in-cheek of it is they are, but they aren't. They weren't titled as such, but they literally changed the face of the continuity in some way, shape, or form. 
And all I'm here sitting here hoping is that Doomsday Clock number 12 actually tells us what the crap is going on. Is it just me? Maybe. I just want to know what's going on. But, yeah. For the people that still remember that book exists and might come out someday. (laughs) We're we're taking bets on the over-under if it actually makes it in the 2019. But... Yeah, so other than that, New York Comic Con didn't really seem to have a lot new to offer. There was a lot of neat stuff in terms of the media front. We saw tons of new content from, uh, of all places, CBS All Access. So if you're into the Star Trek thing, like, New York was your jam. Um, Because other than that, comics seems like they pretty much dropped all their news in San Diego and they're like, we did the thing. So congratulations. Uh, You are officially caught up on what we know for the moment, but... None of that's small because technically a restructuring or at least DC continuity continuing into the near future is is coming soon. It sounds like we're going to start hearing more probably and here again, hopefully Doomsday Clock and all the stuff that's going on with Year of the Villain and everything else will come to a culmination and bring us to whatever this quote unquote crisis may be early in 2020. So let me me throw this out there, too, when it comes to that. If you're a comic book reader. And you might be because you're listening to this. Um, yeah, thank it you. can be re- <laughs> it could be really easy to look at these uh, crises and rebrands and events of this nature to not be a jumping on point, but rather to be a jumping off point. Like right. you know, I'm done. Uh, be patient with them. Usually, these people have good intentions, even if the ex- it's executed poorly. So be patient with them and see what they can do. Yeah, honestly, as a person that used to be in the retail side of this, is it really is a great jumping on point. For folks that have been along for the full ride of a continuity, it can seem like a letdown. But for new folks, it really does give them a point where they're going to get the story new. They're going to get it fresh, and it's a place that they can understand the characters and at least move out from there. For the rest of us, just like Hector said, we got to remember, we've been along for the whole ride. Some of us have been along for more than one version of the ride. And sometimes <laughs> you just got to hang out to see what's going to happen next and decide whether that's something you want to continue to invest time and money in or if you're going to move on. And one of the best parts of comics is there's so many folks I know that literally will take two to ten years worth of a break and then be like, that sounds cool. I'm going to read it again. So comics. Oh, that is, was me. Is a, yeah, it's a fascinating I- industry. I stopped at uh, Marvel's uh, Spider-Clone Saga, the original one, and didn't pick anything back up until Hush. So There, there, there were some people that were pretty deeply cut by the Clone Saga. <laughs> right. It took a minute. Um, but, so, but, uh, another news thing that, you know, one thing that oh, I've yeah, seen absolutely. pretty recently is um, there's not enough good nerdcore music <laughs> and stuff out there. Um, we might you know, be alone on that one, but at least I agree with you. Uh, anyway, Kirby Crackle is always super dope. Um, if you've never picked up them, you know, it's very punk rocky, um, nerdcore, fun and, you know, genuine, uh, with a lot of throwbacks, but there's, to me, there's just not a lot of nerdcore going on. Um, recently there was a nerdcore hip hop album dropped, uh, that is called Marvel Us, as in, you know, Marvelous, huh? It's a pun. Oh, nice, um, punny. But but it's a Shazam themed album by a rapper named Cutright. Nice. And uh, you know, there are more nerdcore references in this thing than probably an entire run of comic books. Um, it's pretty dope. It covers a lot of ground and if you there's lots of places you can stream it, you can check the show notes for it, but uh, if you like nerdcore stuff, this is definitely for you. This is also nerdcore and faithcore. Uh, the dude is, you know, there's all faith. There's elements of Christianity and faith woven all through the thing. So if you like hip hop and nerdcore stuff, you should definitely check out Marvel Us um, by Cutright. You can also join him in his Twitter campaign and Instagram campaign to try and get Zachary Levi to notice him. So that's Ooh. always fun because <laughs> he's trying hard. He's hoping, you know, to get on the sound soundtrack for Black Adam. So, uh, <laughs> You can have fun with that. No, I actually, I gave it a listen when you shot it my direction earlier in the week. So I jammed out to the full playlist and it was good. I enjoy it. I enjoy people that are talented and capable of crafting rhymes and also just good music. And well, for us nerdy people, nerdcore just sits in our heart because 
all those words mean something. They pull from a continuity or something that we enjoy. And then having that for us, um, for here on the Polis podcast and Love Thy Nerd, having that faith element is also just really neat. So I enjoyed it. So if that's something that you're at least remotely interested in, navigate your way to the show notes and click your way over there and give it a listen. And then tell us what you think. And then follow Cartwright because he's pretty dope. And that is the news for this week. Like we said, uh, New York Comic Con was really a thing, but also not a lot came out of it. But you can always join Hector and I and some of all of our lovely nerdy friends on the Love Thy Nerd Facebook community and talk about it with us on just about every day because that's where we do the nerdy things. Just search for Love Thy Nerd community there on the Book of Faces, hit join, and begin your geeky adventure together with us. Isn't that amazing? Well, like I said, that was the news. We actually want to get to talk about the movie Joker this week. So we're going to hit our polls, but we're going to do it in probably one of the fastest ways that Hector and I have ever done, which means we're probably Don't pressure not going to end up. Gosh. Right, we're not going to end up doing it <laughs> fast at all because reasons and comics and we have opinions. But Hector, let's let's prepare the people. We're going to get very spoilerish with Joker. So, uh you got your news, you can listen through the polls. And then we'll warn you one more time, but we're going to, we're definitely going to talk about Joker. So, all right. Well, actually we're going to talk about Joker in other formats before we even get there. So speaking of Hector, what lovely comic books did you pull from your local shop this week? So for me personally, there was a lot of DC this week. Like I felt like almost too much. Like I pulled nine DC books and that didn't even include all of the ones that I planned to pull. And that's just this week. Um, so you can't see it, but I have my surprised face right now. Yeah, that's a yeah, lot. Um, pretty much. And that's the thing. There's a lot of specials and like not. There's a, I think here's my thing. There's a lot of DC books, but not a lot of storyline books, like of things that actually furthered where we're going. Um, but whatever. Actually, that's um, that's a really good point because just looking over our list and even what I pulled, like Batman eighty and Flash eighty, I think were the only storyline books I had this week. Yeah, everything else is like one shots yeah. or new stories or minis or whatever. Um, so first off, uh, John Carpenter, horror legend. Um, yep. creative genius, um, did a pod, did not did a podcast. We're doing a podcast. Silly me. Yeah. Um, he did so a book for Joker as DC has been doing their year of the villain. He did a year of the villain Joker. And, you know, at this point in time, I probably would have skipped this book if John Carpenter's name wasn't boldly written on the cover. Um, which Ditto. To- absolutely. Right? Because it's just like, oh, you know, a Joker book with all these other Joker books. But no, it was actually really solid. Um, a real, it, You know what it, dude? It reminded me of Azarello's Joker, but better. Oh, no, I dig that that comparison. Because, um, yeah, this, it was, this a very, was an unsettling version. Yeah. Um, in Azarello's Joker, you're, you're like following a henchman as he follows the Joker around, and... This is pretty much the same thing, except this is a lot more vivid, entertaining, and disturbing. Um, and, yeah, under, but, underline the disturbing a little bit. This book, disturb- Falling in October, was wonderful. Yeah, this was a better Halloween special than DC's Halloween special. Um, Oops. And, but no, for real, like this was a good Joker storyline. And I gotta say, uh, it had the... Uh, it made me hum Eminem the entire time I'm singing or reading it because uh, Joker and his new henchmen dress up in poorly dressed Batman and Robin costumes. And so it looked like the without me video with Eminem and Dr. Dre dressed like Batman and Robin. So uh, that was okay. That was what was in my head the entire time. Um, But it's a solid book. If you like a good Joker story, if you like the intense, uh, but one of the things you pointed out, you had a, a strong point that really stuck out to you in this. What was that? Yeah, I think the thing that was interesting, because we're going to talk a little bit about it later, is this book actually sits really solid as a juxtaposition to the movie The Joker. So without, you know, we're saving it for the podcast, but we're doing it on the podcast, that short version of this movie Joker is a mental illness story where that dude is really, really whacked out. Um, the year of the villain Joker, 
the henchman talks about his personal mental illness and basically how his mother used to tell him over and over again that, you know, it's not really your fault. You know, you're not you're not evil. You're crazy. And there's a difference. And this henchman following the Joker doing these truly heinous things throughout this entire book um, hits the end and goes, Mom was right. You're evil, not crazy. I'm crazy, not evil. And I was just like, whoa. Yeah. That, that's a, a really, really difficult mental position to to deal with, right? Is the reality of the presence of evil, which we happen to believe um, as Christians, um, that evil is something of the world that, you know, you can't just apply a crazy tag to people that do things all the time because, unfortunately, evil is a thing that is present in our world. And you're the villain. The Joker from John Carpenter does a pretty good job of showing what evil can look like. Yeah. And it, it was, I feel it like unsettling. it's for, for all the people that weren't happy with the f- film version of the Joker. This is like a here, have a cookie. You can have what you want to. Um, so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If if you if you saw the movie and you were like, that, n- no, well, then go read. You're the villain, the Joker. John Carpenter got your fix. Yeah. But uh, even more so with uh, moving on in the DC world, we had a uh, Batman 80, which was finally mm-hmm. <laughs> like finally the batman has come back to gotham like it's it's that thing of like we've been what how many issues dude like 30 it's been a hot minute <laughs> it's it's been a while since batman he, has been mia um, he bought his he brought his mustache with him though so i guess it's okay did he yeah go back and look at well yeah there's an interesting discussion to be had there but yes okay um <laughs> i didn't pay attention to that um but, like, for real, Batman's finally back in Gotham and handling business and Catwoman's back. And we also have John Romita Jr. doing the art, which is, you know, a different, fresh perspective and take. Um, yep. I, you know, if you, some people love John, some people hate. Um, but he did a good job with this visual representation. And they, you know, not like you have to convince me to buy Batman, but, you know, they were. Tom King and others were dropping teaser art of Batman facing off against Hush in it. And to be fair, that, is, that was that was dope. And it, probably one of my favorite splash pages in a while. It was a, it was a dope piece of art and it was a good splash page. I was not impressed by the outcome or the actual interaction. I feel like that was a sizzle reel without substance. Yeah, not they the underdelivered. Book. Not the, not the book, the the Batman Hush interaction. If I yeah. would have turned, if I hadn't seen it on the internet before I got the book, I would have been like, oh, cool, look, Hush. But because that was the advertising piece, that was underwhelming. But yep. it was nice to actually see where this is going and gearing up for the tensions of what it's going to be to have Thomas and Bane face off against Batman. And it was nice to have Catwoman in his presence and back in Gotham as well. So, uh, if you've missed Batman and you've just been like, I can't do this anymore, you can jump back on now. Like, come on back. You can really start with City of Bane and come back, but this is a good jumping on point. So Batman of 80, I thought Batman 80 really did deliver. Yeah, I don't so. think he's going to slow down in 85, given this no. setup. Um, mm-hmm. And knowing the bits of what's been going on in the world and everything, and then giving us all these sections. Uh, yeah. And then just where Batman 80 ends... Um, it sucks to be the boy wonder. That's all I'm going to say is we don't know what's coming, but there's potentially some serious damage to the bat family coming. So we'll have to see how it all shakes out. So, uh, Tom King, yep. Hat back off because you're, you're doing what you do best, which is slowly creeping us towards a, a whiz bang ending. And 80 was a heck of a setup for what's to come. Don't blow it. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. Um, also, you know, jumping out of the DC world, uh, I really, like I mentioned earlier, Hickman's done a really good job with X-Men. And when you mm-hmm. start Powers of X and House of X, it's uber confusing and you're like, what on earth is happening? And you stay that way through most of it. Um, and I personally, I think would have rather have had this just been one book than with that alternated, you know, chapters. Because they oh, it really because yeah. it really does not how, powers of X does not function without House of X 
at all. Um, if you only, if you had to, if you picked the two books, now that it's over in retrospect, if you just read House of X or Powers of X, you got nothing. Um, just crazy, obscure, futurey things with no point. Um, like you, you seriously did need both. Um, but that being said, now that both books are done, Powers of X and House of X, it really turned out to be a good story. I felt it was a solid, uh, I th- felt it was a really solid foundational piece for the future of the X-Men. Even if you don't read beyond this, like, cause I don't know how many of these books I'm picking up beyond here. I'll probably pick up the main, but, uh, yep. like this was a solid entry into the X-Men comic book universe. And I feel like this gave us the best and actual most useful version of Moira, 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 Moira McTaggart. There you go. Dial that in. Dial you it in. You got there. Um, it gave us the the best use of McTaggart, McTaggart we've ever seen. Um, the most interesting version of her ever. Um, for me, though, dude, I felt like all Professor X and uh, Magneto did was posture for the entire thing. Like, it literally looked like they were Gap Store mannequins just standing there looking majestic while the rest of the world was doing their thing. Um it's why like, I'm kind of curious what this is going to develop into because I, it's like, right, the two that have always disagreed literally in a panel were like, we're on board. And I was like, I want to believe that, sort of. So it makes me wonder if that's going to be the, the tearing point because something's got to give given where that setup ended. And I loved it too. Hickman, you got me. I will buy the main line to see where we go. But, but where are we going? Can I throw low key something at you? Yeah. It's just a just a opinion. Cause you know, one of the things you see in this book is Charles is steady rocking a cerebro helmet and actually walking the whole time. Right. Um I straight up think that Charles is controlling Magneto. Like Ooh. I straight up think this through this entire storyline. Um because or it might be the other way around that Magneto is somehow controlling Charles. Less right, believable. because we don't really get him outside of the helmet. Yeah, you don't see so him take kind the of helmet a, off. We're kind of assuming who he is. Ooh, we just broke my... Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because think about it. If you When you read Powers of X at the last issue, one of the, like one of the things is they managed to, all throughout these lives, they managed to finally do better than they've ever done, yet yep. thousands or billions or whatever years down the road... Uh, they still lose. Now, here's the thing. My problem was, is it still losing if it happens like outside of your natural lifetime? That's just no. history and life. I'm like, do we really need to be worried about what happens at the end of time? Ooh. Like, instead of just handling your business now? Because you w- they say they always lose, yet they won. They were just greedy with their winning. Right. Um. Yeah, meh. <laughs> like oh. I, I got a little less invested <laughs> with that when I was actually looking. At, I was like, y'all, y'all didn't lose. You're just being super selfish. Um, deep thoughts but, with Hector. <laughs> deep thoughts. With, man, I used to love deep thoughts with Jack Handy. Um, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, no, but seriously, like That's the fair. thing that really got me is that um, that made me start really looking into it deeper. At the end of Powers of X, um, Moira is telling Charles. The, out of all the lives I've known you, you have never changed. And he's like, oh, thanks, honey. And she's like, no, that's not good. Then from that <laughs> point on, um, the next thing you see is that Charles always has that helmet on. So my thought is Char- they literally changed Charles so mm. that they could survive the future. That he might not be 100% Charles under there or that he's, you know, there's something with Charles and the helmet and that he's been being manipulated or manipulating one or the other. There's a there's a plot twist up in there in that situation. But the 12 issues you'll spend on Powers and House, it's worth your time. So give it a shot. Absolutely. Is that all you yeah. got? That's all I all got, right. bro. Sweet. You're covering so, the rest. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, hmm? um, did Are you doing the Joker Harley book? Yeah, we'll absolutely, we absolutely need to talk about that book. So why don't we talk about it right now? Um, so last episode, we had the first Black Label entrance of Harley and Joker in the book of Harleen. And Hector and I told you guys that we absolutely loved it because we did. And then because DC wants you to have all of the Joker Harley you can possibly ever have... We also got another black label, which was Joker Harley Criminal Sanity, 
which is a completely different take on the entire thing. So we get Harley as basically a Gotham City Police Department profiler, like super hardcore Joker has killed someone very important to her, and that's kind of what has put her on the path. And we get this new story of Harley doesn't break bad, or at least doesn't look like she's going to break bad at any point, that she's going to be what would have happened if the Joker, like, really ticked her off instead of going, you know, um, Stockholm Syndrome-type Harley. So it's been... I I thought it was really interesting. So she's, you know, this big-time serial killer profiler. And the thing is, she's trying to find the Joker because lost someone incredibly important to her. And it's an interesting book art-wise as well. The primary story is in black and white, so it's kind of got that Sin City... um, you know what? I didn't think about it. Sin City until you said that, but yeah, it totally does. Yeah, because they also use color, especially red, when it's important in the black and white. But then they throw it over to full color um, for flashbacks. So not just full color, white, it, full color with real people. <laughs> yeah. So, like Hector said, part of the art <laughs> style in this, it looks like photographs that they stylized. If that is drawing then kudos to whoever did that because, wow, they are hyper-realistic. But I'm pretty sure it's a photo that they went back and they touched um, for artistic purposes, and it's pretty wild. And it is definitely designed to throw you back and forth between the two time periods. But it's interesting that the flashback is the thing that is vivid, and the current reality is the black and white and gritty. So it sounds like you probably agree, but we actually have two black label books that are technically opposite ends of the same spectrum from one another about the same two characters. And they're both kind of great. They really are. They really are. So, And I didn't want it to be good because it's expensive. <laughs> yep. But the Black Label Harley books are actually really good. And they're probably better than the Birds of Prey movie will be. Um, Ooh, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to feel that way. But dude... Um, yeah. Renee Montoya, one of my favorite characters, is like pushing 55. And I don't know, dude, but whatever. Moving on. All right. <laughs> Move, moving on. Black Label, you should probably read the things. That's what we're learning so far on this journey. Um, but also from DC this week for me, another series that really surprised me has been Deceased. Deceased number five out of six came out this week. And I just continue to be impressed by this story that at first the whole zombie-ish slash anti-life equation, typical DC whateverness seemed like they were just doing a cheap end in October Halloween-y type story. But I actually dig this book like a lot. And I know we've mentioned it before. So this is Chris just saying again, you should actually be reading this book. It's actually... Issue five was almost the turning the corner of, okay, how are we going to deal with this? And what does the aftermath look like? So six and is by the be way, that tie in from last month, uh, totally needs to be included in it. So right. That so, one tie in that had like Mr. Miracle and Constantine, it should oh, be part of the mainline story. So we're saying you should read this. It seemed like a weird mini, but it actually has a lot of heart and it's really interesting. Next for me, cause I'm a Flash reading guy. Uh, Flash 80 came out this week, and there is just a bonkers story going on there that we've been telling you that there's lots of different forces. It's not just the speed force now. There's the still force and the strength force, and that entire story has literally gone sideways because Hunter Zolomon and the Black Flash are back because they're like, nope, only one force. That's not how this works. So the Black Flash is just murking as many force wielders as he can. And Barry's trying to figure out why and what's going on. And he figures something out about Hunter and goes looking for Hunter because Hunter Zolomon basically tries to jack up the Flash as much as possible. And this book ends in a panel that all the spoilers, Barry doesn't look so hot. Like, you know, Barry like avoided a bullet in the year one story arc. But this is the Black Flash is impaling him in all kinds of ways. And they're highly implying the potential death of the Flash or a Flash going into the next one. So don't know what's up, but if you're into reading like the Flash when things go absolutely bonkers sideways, 
we are currently living in that reality in The Flash. So if you haven't been picking it up, it's worth kind of backtracking a few to the beginning of the current arc to track the whole Black Flash and uh, Hunter Zolomon and the hunting of the forces because it's it. I'm not sure what's going to happen next, but it's not a good look for Barry at the moment. And that makes me sad inside. And finally, I read a Marvel book too. I mean, I've read all the X-Men stuff and agree wholeheartedly with Hector that there's amazing things going on there. But people, almost every single time I get in front of a microphone, I tell you to read Daredevil. I'm not <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I'm seriously not kidding. Sewell did an amazing job on the last run. And then Sadarsky has just been crushing um, this story. And we're still in this point in this story where Matt Murdock's like, no, I can't even beat people up because I'm realizing my faith. I, I can't kill people. And I accidentally did. And so he's pulling his punches because he doesn't even want to get into fights. He's like, this is not who I am. This is not how this is supposed to work. But he sees the world kind of falling apart around him. And he's like, I got to help these people so they don't die. So vigilante, bad, but good. Killing, definitely bad, but beating people up, maybe, but probably not. And he goes to rescue a daredevil copycat that we still don't know who it is. Um, that got caught by a bunch of corrupt police officers that were going to kill him. And Matt's like, well, can't, can't allow that to happen. And so he comes up with a plan. And it was a dumb plan because he puts Foggy like in harm's way and then tries to fix it. And he's like, all right, how do I beat up the bad guys without beating up the bad guys? And basically that doesn't work. And the spoiler of Daredevil 12 is Elektra finds her way back, who has already shown herself in this series and looks at Matt and is like, no, seriously, you actually can do this. Because Elektra beats up every cop on this rooftop to save Matt and this other guy, but doesn't kill any of them. And Matt's like, wait, you, you don't do that. And Elektra's like, yeah, I can teach you a thing or two. And I was yeah, like, oh! it was actually a good moment. I was like, my heart! Because <laughs> um, that's really wild for Elektra, because she just would have dropped all of them. Um, so I dig where that story's going, and I still dig this fact that Murdoch is still trying to figure out what to do. Um, fighting this reality that he has this mark on his soul now for this life that he accidentally took. But then Sadarsky also gives us this image of Fisk in this kind of disjointed um, plot line that's going on next to it, where Kingpin just loses his mind and beats the crap out of a dude and beats him to the death at a dinner party and just leaves the dude in the bathroom. And even Fisk is like, wow, that was a thing. So it's just neat to me because... I didn't think this is where the story was going, but Sadarsky has now literally set up both those characters at opposite ends of the same spectrum, doing introverted looks at themselves of, what am I doing? And it's it's a really neat image. That was the thing, too, is that it's the story we've seen, and I'm not going to say it's original, right? but it's a story we've seen time and again, where every time Kingpin tries to become legit, the world rejects him. And, yep. you know, it's literally that section of the book could have come right out of uh, Daredevil Season 3. Ooh, yep. Oh, man, and that's, that's the thing. It looked real familiar to what we saw in Daredevil Season 3. Um, but, and man, it was a really good telling of it. So, there were a lot of great books this week, but one of the things that we absolutely love to do on the show when we get the opportunity to do it is every week... In the Love Thy Nerd community, we actually ask you, the listener, what you're reading that we're not. And Hector and I tend to read a lot, but we can't get to everything. There's tons of comics. And this week, Todd Turner, a fairly newcomer to the group and to this show, it'll be the first time he gets a shout out. So, hi. Um, he's hi, like, Todd. are you guys read? Yeah. It's like, are you guys reading Usagi Yojimbo? And it's like, I wanted to, but literally the entire it. world... The entire world on my end of the spectrum sold out of issue number one. And so I was like, I'm waiting for the trade because reasons. And he's like, well, it's really great. And well, Stan, uh, the artist, is pretty freaking amazing. So I can understand that. I've always loved uh, Stan Sakai's uh, work as an artist. But supposedly we get a pretty neat story that's being told when it restarted at issue number one. So they're only on issue five. So a trade should be coming soon. But 
that's a great recommendation. I, I dig the art that's going on there, and I've heard that there's kind of an interesting story involving um, abuse or domestic-type related incidents, which seems a little weird for Usagi, so I'm kind of curious about how that story plays out. But the community has spoken. Usagi Yojimbo is worth a read, so we're going to take up that recommendation here pretty soon, and I hope to at least catch up and find out what's going on. So... That's great stuff. I'm glad that you guys are giving us a shout. Um, and stay tuned for hearing your names and what you guys are reading in the future. So those are our polls. Hector, I think the only thing we can do with the remaining time of our show is to talk about the Joker as in the movie because I think the entire world expects us to. <laughs> is something funny? I used to think that. My life was a tragedy. But now I realize it's a comedy. You just. Jeez, why so serious? I know, right? Well, like, well, how, well. how, how, <laughs> please no. It's like. <laughs> So we have to talk about this. So Hector, I think I'll let you kind of set us up. Um, well, okay. we saw the movie on the same night. I was just a couple hours behind you because we we made it. And yeah, so the Joker, kind of your initial thoughts and some of the things of that onion that we need to peel back for some of the folks who listen. Well, personally, I think this is what everybody else has said. It's not a fun movie to watch because it's <laughs> that is an understatement. Because it's real and painful. Um, for me, I don't think it compares because, you know, the general market value of the world wants to say, well, is he a better Joker than La? I don't know. Um, right. From a comic book perspective, we all want to f- figure out which Joker this is. Well, at least me personally, and I think you agree, Hector, from some of our conversations, it, it's kind of hard to balance this one against anything that we would know from comic book continuity because this is a pretty fresh take. It's a pretty fresh take, um, but that's the thing. Like, it doesn't line up with any others. I mean, this is one of the discussions we were having, you know, in regards to the book we mentioned earlier. Is that most Joker representations, while are anchoring around the Joker being a mentally ill villain, uh, don't base in mental illness. Um, they're much more based in a character trait with excuses to be a little extra. Like, um, when you look at back how the Joker was portrayed um, early in comics, uh, he was just a bad guy that happened to be dressed as a clown. Um, when you were dealing with, like, the Batman 66 era, he was just, you know, a comical rogue. Um, we got we get to the Tim Burton era, and Jack Napier was a gangster that, uh, you know, got a little eccentric after a acid bath. Um, Mark Hamill, to me, is the iconic, is the version of the Joker. And um, and that had a little more, um, a little more proximity to insanity, but not really. Um, he was just eccentric. I think, I think, I think that's the biggest thing is like most versions of the Joker have just been eccentric characters, not actual insanity. Um, or characterizations of what we would say, wow, that dude's crazy. But yeah. what does that even what does that actually mean when you're talking about mental illness in a fair and reality based science based discussion that yeah, that guy's crazy. It's like, well, that, because that's not even Heath really Ledger. Heath Ledger was not his character was not insane. His character was a master manipulator and planner and all these other things. And yeah, this was the thing is that this was watching someone deal with mental illness in a tough setting and watching the outcome. And it was painful. And I got to say to me, the most brilliant thing they did as far as like character development was giving the Joker, um, PBA or pseudo pseudo Bulber go with that pseudo Bulber. If I'm saying that correctly, which is the You're condition. You're going to have to look that one up because yeah, that, that's a hard word to say. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm pretty sure it's pseudo Bulber, but hey, whatever. Uh, but I don't know if I'm right. But PBA was the condition the Joker had that based on trauma or other things, it causes the person to laugh or cry at 
inopportune times against their own will. So the Joker laugh was painful because of the timing and the setting, but the Joker laugh was also painful because it literally was a involuntary motor function of someone who was struggling with their situation. Um, right. You know, and even the- so far that they went to the point of like a lot of folks that have certain types of uh, ailments that don't allow them to control their actions. There was a lot of times and still sometimes that people will carry cards, business cards that literally say what it is so they can hand it to people when they're not able to control. And they did that with the Joker that whenever like he's, literally goes into a laughing fit and can't control, you know, he does everything in his power to find that card and hand it to people around him. And it, it was just, yeah, it was so heartbreaking a few times to see that in and of itself. And then the one line that still haunts me from the whole movie, just in general, is this concept of everybody looks at the world of people that have a mental illness and, you know, tries to treat them, they expect them to act normal when they know they're not. Yeah. And it's like, ow, that, yeah, it, it was just a really fascinating moment. The, the self-awareness of that, of, I, I know that I can't control my circumstances, but everybody stares at me like I should have control. Well, that's one of the things too, that we see in, um, many representations of the Joker, but specifically if you want to cite Alan Moore's, uh, the killing joke, um, that, Madness is great, like gravity. You know, all you need is a little push. That everybody is one. Well, that Heath Ledger said one bad day. Yeah, everybody is one bad day away from being in this place. Here's the deal: the the Joker we see in this movie was never one bad day away. He was in constant turmoil of struggle, and it wasn't like he was just a good dude that got pushed too far. This was a dude that had been struggling his whole life, and. There were clear and present red flags where people should have gotten involved and medical professionals that should have stepped up, family members that should have risen up, colleagues that should have risen up to identify and help and do these different things. So this was not a one bad day situation. This was not he that this dude didn't break bad. By the way, the Breaking Bad movies out on Netflix. Um, I'm excited. <laughs> Hold yeah. it together. Joker. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> Fine. Um, you know, he didn't break bad. He legitimately was in a struggle and his circumstances just eventually led up to it. It wasn't, he wasn't in a bad day situation. He was constantly struggling. And, you know, that's not entertainment. That's not fun. That's not a popcorn movie. That's not a super villain. That's not what any of that is. That's a, a depiction of actual struggle and pain. And if you've worked with anyone or been in, had family members, anyone that struggled with mental illness, or if you've struggled with mental illness yourself, this was not fun to watch. I mean, I don't know anybody that went to this and was like, man, that was awesome. You know, like, that was a good time. You know, it's not that. Um, no, that's that, the... That was one of the things that really struck me from watching the movie and then conversations afterwards was, I mean, the reality of the circumstances in the movie are presented in a very realistic fashion, all the way down to even the issue of he's going to a state-provided mental health professional, a social worker, um, to get his meds and also to get basically therapy. And they hit the real-world issue of, he loses his healthcare professional because they can't afford it anymore. And his healthcare the, professional wasn't doing anything in the first place. Right. It was that counterbalance of a civil servant that basically has a caseload that's so big of you get that impression she's dialing it in. And they even I mean, Joker even goes there uh and says do, do you even listen? It's like you ask me every – that one part where he says, you ask me every week if I'm having negative thoughts, if I've thought of killing myself and going to these terrible circumstances. And he's like, yes, I always have negative thoughts. I'm always feeling that way. But you do nothing but sit there. And it just kind of crushed me because I've heard these stories from the world around us in the mental health industry that – it's a part of our healthcare system that is not as robust as it probably should be. And this reality that we face mental illness as this thing we don't want to talk about and deal with, that I, I thought this movie ended up being a lot deeper than I honestly expected it to be. And 
that's why I think some people are having difficulty categorizing what this movie actually is and then whether it was quote unquote good or not. Because I've heard a ton of comic book folks basically be like, well, that was pretty lame because that's a really boring version of the Joker if it's just that. It's like, okay, but did you watch the movie? (laughs) Because it's not supposed to be just a depiction of the Joker. It's a story about mental health and struggle. And, you know, it's just a what if scenario based in Gotham. Yep. Which on that. Good. Yeah. I was going to say that was one thing that was actually really fascinating. What you just said that was based in Gotham, right? Everyone I went to see it with, we had a conversation afterwards. And one thing that came up is like, you know, it wasn't until like almost the end of the movie that I was like, oh, wait, this is Gotham. So there are references throughout the movie that firmly place this where it is. You see the GCPD. You even get the Wayne family um, and other pieces. You see Arkham, uh, but Arkham is a state um, mental health uh, hospital. Right. So you're firmly in Gotham, but you almost get lost in this story just as the story itself and then get reminded throughout that, no, no, we're we're actually in Gotham and there's important pieces that do tie back to comics here, but – I mean, for me personally, I actually hit the end of that movie and went, was he even really fully the Joker, quote unquote, as people expect him to be by the end of this film? And I I think we were starting to see full actualization. I don't think we would have gotten to him being the real Joker until like maybe 30 more minutes of story. Right. Um, I I absolutely agree based on what I saw that people that are like, Oh, well, this is a terrible Joker. I'm like, well, that's because that wasn't the story. This This, was the, how did we get there? This was Batman Begins, but if Batman Begins would have ended the minute they revealed the cowl. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, This would have been, you know, Ra's al Ghul and the training and all the other things. And the minute he first put the costume on, this would have been the end of the movie. Yep. Um, And that's, that's one of the things, too, is like... I you know there were very subtle details, but um like some of his clown friends do fit into the model of his henchmen from other stories and yep uh dude the fact that they nailed the mar- the movie theater marquee um, yes no they I, the I fully did not expect a retelling of that part of the story and when they hit it. And I started paying attention to all the details. I was like, wow, well done. Yeah, and that's that's what got me. Because they could have easily taken it a slight different direction. And that would have been too on the nose. Yep. Um, and that would have been too much fan service. But the way they played it out, what I thought was extremely well done. You had elements of Batman Year One. You had elements of the killing joke. You had elements in there that, you know, just really. But the fact that they had that movie marquee. The right way, yep. Um, nailed it for me, and uh, and then just turning the corner straight in the crime alley, and it plays out pretty yeah. much the way you expect it to. Uh, it's like because here's the thing: the thing I always look for are the pearls. Like I yep. think since Frank Miller on, like the pearls for me are always um, the pearls are always the deal. But uh, and and they nailed it. But there were tons of other little things as well. Like I talked to a bunch of folks because we see young Bruce Wayne, right? That's the other thing is we see the fact that there is a 15 to 20 year gap between Bruce who will become Batman and the man that is slash becomes the Joker. It's like, thank you for that because that's the continuity I choose to accept. Don't at me. Um, So that's like creepy. But when they have the Bruce like playing on the the playset and he jumps down the little pole, I'm like, I'm sorry. I was meant to see that. And that was Batman being like i'm gonna have a pole when i install the back cave you know i didn't even think of that oh that's awesome right no there's tons <laughs> of little things another little thing that i caught um in the background because at first i was like there's not gonna be a ton of comic stuff and then when i saw the movie i was like oh there's a lot more here than i thought um they also make a reference somewhere like in the background conversation about the these giant these gangs of giant rats in new york and i was like okay that's cool um because at least my DC, my deep DC brain goes to, okay, that's Rat King, or at least a very random reference. Yeah. Um, because it didn't belong in the conversation it was in. So I was no, like, it totally no, didn't. That, that was a thing. Um, so I'm now convinced there are more in this movie that I just didn't catch. Oh, yeah. I think, but, I think this was almost a rogues gallery just without. Um, right. So for those of you that expected a 
superhero slash comic book movie. It is absolutely not that thing. But it does do plenty of homage to what true fans of the genre can recognize. But it's We're not still saying not you're not center. a fan if you don't get this stuff. We're just saying if you delve deep, you're going to get a lot. Right. You're right. It's it's one of those things. But it also means if you're just popcorning it and you think it's going to be like some of the other stories you've seen, it absolutely is not. That the vividness of dealing with mental illness is, as Hector said, that is probably the most uncomfortable two and a half hours I've spent in a movie theater without direct violence and something being soaked in blood. It was like Schindler's List with face paint. Yeah, and that's kind of an important part of this discussion is many folks have probably read articles that imply this is a hyper-violent film. Now, this is me not saying that what some of the things that Joker does, I'm not saying that they weren't extremely violent. Um, it's just that it's not two and a half hours of that. In fact, it's almost only three individual incidents of of that. And it plays more so to the fact of what's actually going on. They are shocking when they occur. Um, but it is not designed to be nothing but that. It is more so about the mental illness journey that Arthur Fleck is on. And that's why I just – I constantly want to caution folks from, A, the media or from our world, you know, as as Pastor Chris and Pastor Hector. And we see a ton of stuff come out of the Christian world that's like, yes, this is all about mass shootings and hyperviolence and there's no value to the medium. I came out with a different version of – Yes, this is not the thing you bring your kids to. Absolutely. But it's a pretty darn honest look at what mental illness can do to people, what mental illness unaddressed can do to folks. And I think that's and why people didn't like it. It's because I think so too. It's, it's literally – it's a Rorschach conversation. You looked into yep. the abyss and the abyss looked back. Um, yep. Everybody that watched this had a twinge moment – this is me speculating, obviously. Everybody that yep. watched this had a twinge moment where it connected with something they've already dealt with or someone they've already dealt with or something they see in themselves, and it made them uncomfortable, and they super weren't down with it. Um, and yeah, that's, a, no. that's a hard place to be. I, so, I think I think that's entirely the design of this is to really make us think about the circumstances that people are in. It does have a commentary on the condition of the world. Um and the reality, because that's another thing that Fleck, Joker, says, he goes, is it just me or are things getting crazier out there? And I think a lot of us can relate to that, that as we turn on the news or anything, that that's the world we're presented with, right? That's what the media wants us to see and understand is everything is just straight garbage or is violence and, and downfall. And when you fully come to the realization of that, what does that do? So – I think there's deeper conversations to be had about really what this movie was trying to accomplish, what it did accomplish. And then just, it's not just the comic book package that there, this, some people did say it. And I mean, even the director said it from day one, they weren't setting out to make a comic book movie. No, um, this is more uh, inspired by the events of kind of thing. Um, they pulled characters, places and things, but then told a very specific story. And Wow. Uh, I came out just mind blown. And then for those of you that have seen the movie and, you know, we've been doing some spoilers here. I'm going to let Hector give you the main one for all of us <laughs> that have seen the movie to consider. And y that was Hector normally laughing, um, but it is kind of unsettling in this context. Sorry, sorry. Um, Dial it back. That is, is normal laugh. There is one interesting moment in this movie that I didn't see the first time around, but Hector – set this up because I was like, I saw the thing. And Hector is like, did you? And I'm like, yes. And so, then he asked me a question. So here's my question. Did any of this actually happen? But let me, let me preface. So if you've maybe heard theories about this, this was my first thought when the movie ended early on in the film, you see a discussion or a reference to the Joker's time in Arkham. And then at the end, after the events of the movie, the Joker is back in Arkham. Uh, and it's, um, and it's his therapist, doctor, whoever asks him what he's laughing about. And he says, Oh, just a funny story. You wouldn't get it. Um, you wouldn't get it. Yeah. You wouldn't get it. Now here's the deal. Every time the Joker, and this is played out in the Harleen comic book that just came out two weeks ago. It's played out in other stories that we see all the time. We see it with Heath Ledger's Joker. Every time the Joker tells his origin, it's a different story. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there, outside of Alan Moore as being close to considered canon, there is not a canon origin story for Joker because it changes every single time. Um, personally, to me, my opinion, none of what we saw in that movie happened outside of the moment in Arkham. Because what I think the movie was, was the Joker thinking all of that up to prepare to tell that psychiatrist a new version of his origin. Um, couple supporting ideas is that some of the stuff logistically didn't make sense. Um, but two, that he was trying to weave in all of the elements that needed to be in there. Just another creative story. Um, but also when you look at the end, the Arkham scene at the end, everything looks crisper, cleaner, a little bit more modern. And like that, what we saw previously through the film was his grainy, dated picture of what things were in his own imagination. The coloring was different and everything else. was. And the only thing that looked straight up modern and real was him in Arkham telling that story. So my personal opinion, that literally none of what we saw happened. And that was just a fun story he was delving up to tell his psychiatrist. That the Joker we see at the end in Arkham is the Joker we all know and are familiar with. And the more comic book Joker that we expected and that he was coming up with a new story to tell. That's my opinion. And I kind of had that mind blown moment when you told me that because my brain immediately started connecting the dots I missed. And I know some people probably feel that, oh, that's like that's that's movie garbage when you do things like that. But in the context of this, I actually stopped and went oh, that'd be really great if that's really what they wanted me to take away from this movie. Because they give you other pieces of threads of Joker's inventing things in this movie. They show you at least one that, point blank, something that never happened in the story. So you already know that part of his mental illness is this reality of he's trying to create a reality where he's accepted, where people actually understand who he is, that people actually know who he is. That's another random Jokerism, if you will, from the movie of I, I thought that people never saw who I am, but now they're starting to take notice um, that throughout the movie, he his actions indirectly start this group of followers that all put on clown masks and basically take it out on the ruling class or rich class of people in in Gotham. And that story feels a little disjointed. We can relate to it because a lot of us, you know, see that in the world around us, but it was really weird um, because all of the moments towards the end of the movie was people basically finally realizing and like holding him up, someone who could barely function in society as this grand mastermind of things when we still knew that he was broken and confused. And then you hit the end and you're like, you know what? Some of that didn't make sense. It, for me, I think it's a much more interesting narrative. If that's exactly what it was that he was piecing together the story, because it also plays their hand to the mythos of Joker of, and that's why we'll truly never know who or what actually happened. But once again, we were presented a very plausible explanation so i think what hector and i are saying is under all the right circumstances you should probably see this movie and come to your own conclusions of everything within it but do so with the warning that it's a tough watch and it's definitely not for the kids um so definitely the kiddos at home um this isn't a oh deadpool's in a movie we should show him because it'll be funny no (laughs) let me help you with that right now (laughs) although domino did do a great job as the Girlfriend slash not girlfriend. Yes. No, absolutely true. Um, So that's kind of our take on things. Uh, We know there's probably 40 billion different outlooks on it right now, but I think one of the best things for folks to do is to probably actually talk about this movie because there's some topics worth talking about in the context of what this director decided to show us as a story. And Phoenix did an amazing job in portraying this character in it. Yeah, it's just... It's an amazing film from that perspective that I think this is a film you watch to dissect all the different pieces and try to figure out the story you're being told, which is one of those awesome parts about the media, the medium of film is that this wasn't a popcorn movie. There seems to be a lot of thought that was put into it. And even more so, I think a lot of thought that comes out of it. So I think 
that's where we're at on Joker. And we ran a little long this week to have this conversation, but Hector and I both felt that it was important. It was important to have a fair discussion of kind of what we saw, but also to deliver the warning that, you know, this is a tough watch. Um, but some things are worth going through the experience so that you can have those practical discussions and actually allow art to help inform the world around us and to open ourselves to new and important discussions. So any last thoughts, Hector? Read more comics. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely should read more comics. So, well, I guess that's, that does it for us then. Um, that's it for us here on the Polis Podcast. Episode 25 is in the can and now is in your ears. That means we have the next episode. Episode 26 is our one-year anniversary. Um, we're trying to put together a great show for you, so we're working through the details there. So stay tuned. Come and celebrate with us on the very next episode for we turn one whole year old here at Love Thy Nerd. And... So that's important for every one of you to know that if you didn't know, we are part of the Love Thy Nerd podcast network. There are two other shows, making a total of three, on the network. We have Humans of Gaming, Drew and Chris. They do interviews with game designers, producers, and creators, and they really get to the heart of why those creators do what they do. And Bubba, Matt, and Kate bring us the Free Play Podcast, which is a general show of just about everything nerdy you can possibly think of. It's super fun. It's just a really good time. So if you just want that quick hit on the nerdy things of the week and have a good laugh at it, free play is definitely the show for you. So Hector, Hector and I, we just really want to thank all of you for being on this journey with us. One whole year is coming next episode. And so thank you for choosing us as your primary source of all things comic booky and generally nerdy on a well, nearly weekly basis, every two weeks at least. So don't leave us hanging. Rate and review the show on your podcasting app of choice. We're on the iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and so many more. You can find us. Just search for us. So guys, thanks for listening. And remember, read more comics. Seven continents of the game of risk. The master of epic duels. I can feel your